Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. All right. Lock at the rock, let's pray together. Father God, now as we look at the parable of the weeds, the little story, the analogy about the gospel and salvation and God's work in this world and the enemies as well. Father, we're in this story. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes that see. And as you say in this parable, if you have ears, I suggest you use them. Help us to use the ears that you have given us, God. In Christ's name, amen. Well, yes, indeed, some parables in Matthew 13. I believe there's seven of them. We're at parable number two. We're going to dive in, as I said, to the story or parable. Parable means to come alongside. And so it's the analogy that compares uh, spiritual truths and things about salvation in God uh, to, uh, by using everyday illustrations from life, as you all know in this morning's stories about weeds. Little nasty creature, are they not? Uh, and they could be not just little creatures, they can actually grow to be giant monstrosities. And so uh, really the easy definition of a weed is an undesirable plant that grows where it's not wanted. Does that resonate with any of you who are fond of gardening or would like a halfway decent lawn to greet you when you drive up to your house? Out of 250,000 species of plants, only 3% would fall into the category of a noxious, unpleasant plant called a weed. And so, yes, they have bad reputations throughout history, and writers and botanists even have said the weed is the most useless thing, you know, and they question, why does it even exist? Ralph Waldo Emerson, that eternal optimist, said this about weeds, a weed is a plant whose virtues have not yet been discovered. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) nor will those virtues ever get discovered, really. And so clearly he was not fond of gardening himself. Uh, And so, yeah, weeds have something in common. They share uh, characteristics that make them weeds. And number one is they're invasive. Uh, They have control issues. They're the narcissists of the plant kingdom. They think it's all about them. 
They think me, myself, and I. And so, yes, they always want to take over, right? So they move in. They choke out the good plants. They harbor disease and pests. And they aggressively compete for nutrients and sunlight and uh, water. They're just a menace, for sure. And so not surprisingly, uh, they were not part of the original creation. They don't come into existence until sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And after the ground is cursed by God because of our sin, then the weeds spring up and begin to mar the image of a place once called paradise. And so fast forward 4,000 years from creation, we've got a world filled with ugly, invasive, poisonous plants that just don't belong. But Jesus, our Lord, has finally found a good purpose for weeds, and he uses them to describe the bad guys in the story. Those who reject truth, don't want anything to do with God, who the Bible calls lawless, the me-centered, crowd, self-serving, serving poisonous souls that cause a lot of problems wherever they grow. And here's the deal Jesus is going to say in his story. They grow everywhere, especially where you don't want them. And even in the Christian community, as we will see and so, yeah, tricky thing, though, you'll see in the story that not all weeds appear to be weeds. Some of them look pretty uh, flowery and innocent, uh, but they are weeds nonetheless. And they, uh, you find out when they take over and do their damage. And so what to do about that? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus has a little story and he tells the farmers, the farmhands, uh, what to do. And so if on your screens, if you can see, or in your Bible there, picking up at uh, verse 24, we'll have the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven, think of it this way, a man sows good seed in his own field, but while everybody's sleeping, his enemy comes along and sows weeds among the wheat and then goes away. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouts up and forms heads, then the weeds also appear. Verse 27, the owner's servants come to him and say, sir, well, what's up with this? Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest time. At that time, I will tell harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so that's the parable of the weeds. 
And uh, this is the second parable about sowing seed, perfect for an agrarian society practically. All of them lived there by the Sea of Galilee, uh, either fishing or farming. And so it was a perfect way to describe and engage them about the truths about salvation, the truth about the challenges of saving a world that's fallen into sin. And so last week we saw the sower was sowing and we saw saw it, the seed met four different kinds of soil that stood for four different kinds of hearts. And only one of those hearts really welcomed the seed that raises the dead to life. And so uh, this week there are two sowers in the story, right? One who sows good seed, wheat in his field, and one who comes along behind him, his enemy, and he tries to destroy that owner's field and the owner's business and secretly sows bad seeds or weeds among the wheat. And what to do? It's a dire situation for farmer number one, is it not? And his field. Uh, but we will see as we walk through the field together and kind of uh, try to glean some insights here. It is a story about you and me and everybody else in this world. Because the field is the world, Jesus tells us. And so a seven-verse farming analogy for you this morning and perfectly sums up what's going around, what's going on around all of us, even today, the invisible war between God and the devil and those who are in between. That would be you and me. And so, yes, the gospel right here. And by the way, Jesus' stories, though he's got this reputation in the world for being meek and mild, right? And people like to say, hey, I just like to listen to what Jesus has to say and Jesus only. Well, Jesus' stories are not for the faint of heart, as we will see uh, this morning. So let's go down into that field and see what's going on with the owner and his field. We'll walk through the story. But as we do, I'll just tag Jesus' interpretation. So what's cool about this particular parable is, is that after he tells three in a row, this one and two others, they go inside for lunch and the disciples say, hey, hey, the story about the weeds, explain that to us. And so he takes a paragraph and he tells you exactly what everything stands for. And there are six little pieces to this parable's puzzle that he says, this is that. And so what's so cool about that is so God's detractors out there, the unbelievers, love to say about a text, well, what does that really mean? <laughs> well, they can't do it about this one because Jesus says, here's what it really means. So you can't say about what Jesus says, this is the answer to solve the interpretation problem. Here's what it truly means. You can't say, well, what does that truly mean? because he's already told you. And so, uh, note takers, are you ready? You got your pens? Yeah? All right, good. Uh, the first piece will be the owner. He'll explain who the owner of the field is. And then the next one is the enemy. He'll explain who that is. And then we've got the seed, number three. Two kinds of seed only. And then number four is the field. What's the field? And then there's the question. What's it all mean? And actually, they ask three really good questions. And, uh, and then finally, uh, 
The harvest. What's the harvest stand for? And that's when you have to buckle your seatbelts and put on your big boy pants because Jesus is going to talk about a very grim reality, the destiny of those who reject the blood of God's own son in love that laid down freely so that they would never have to perish. But if you persist, then there is a destiny that is very very graphic and sad indeed. And so he talks about that. Eventually the sickle comes in. The wheat have nothing to worry about. They go off to the barn. But the weeds, they have a different destiny, don't they? And so let's start with the owner. So there in your verse 24, he just says, he tells them another story. And the kingdom of God is like this guy. He owns a field. He sows good seed in his own field. And the answer in verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Of course, you know that's a messianic title taken from Daniel chapter 7 about the son of God, Jesus himself. And so he says, the story's about me. Yeah, it, it is a story. The whole gospel is a story about God, right? And so he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what God's up to behind the scenes. This is how people are responding to God. This is how the devil is working against God. And this is what Judgment Day uh, looks like. And here's a picture of the gospel with all of its challenges. And it starts first with the man who owns the field who sows good seed. And who is that? He's no ordinary man. He is the God-man because Jesus identified him as himself the Son of God, who is equal to God in every way. Colossians 2.9, Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. And so he sows good seed. Why? Because he's a good man. He's a good God. And so Daniel chapter 7, I like to explain the Son of Man every time we run into that. It's Jesus' favorite way to describe himself. And it's a polite way instead of, it's me. He talks about himself in third person, as it were, through this beautiful title. And here's where Son of Man comes from. Daniel chapter 7, I do have it. I'm sorry for the glare. I don't know what else we're trying. <laughs> uh, so on the screens there, Daniel 7, I'll read it to you. In my vision, Daniel speaking, at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man. There's the title. Coming with the clouds of heaven, only he's seeing harvest time. He's seeing the second coming, 700 years before the first coming. Daniel seeing it. And he approached the Ancient of Days. The Messiah approaches God the Father and was led into his presence. He was given authority. Now we're talking the Son of Man. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Wow, the whole world. His dominion is an everlasting, forever dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here's what he's saying. By calling this figure coming, who's equal to God in every way, but he says, here's the funny thing, folks. I saw a human being. A son of man means somebody was like us. What's God doing looking like us coming through the clouds judging the entire world, reigning and ruling and power and authority and glory. He looks like a man. He's the son of man. He was a baby once. Yeah, there you have it. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
the dual nature of the Messiah, 100% God, 100% man, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin womb. And so, yes, he says, and Christ is saying, really, that's me, the owner of the field in the field, uh, spoiler alert, is the world. So he's saying, I am God and I own the world. That's your first takeaway from this uh, little, seemingly innocuous little story, harmless story, innocent story. And so uh, the odor shows good seed in his field. Yeah, it's his field. He created the world. He created the world. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things. And they're talking about, he's talking about Jesus. For you, Jesus created all things. All things exist by him and for him. Of course, it's his field. He's the good man who sows the good seed, and he owns his own field, and the field is the world's, and Jesus is saying, it's me. The story's about me. And if you want to know the secret of life, and maybe your life isn't working quite as you thought it would be, that you're not as blessed and joyful as you should be. Well, it's because maybe you haven't applied this very basic truth. The story and the star of the show is God and not you and not me. The story is not about Caesar. The story is not about the governor. The story is not about mandates. The story is not about viruses. The story is not about any of that. The star of the show is the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory, honor, and power to renew all things. Amen? That's awesome. <laughs> That's a good response there. And so we've met the owner. Let's meet his enemy. You can hiss right now, or boo if you want. A hiss would be apropos, wouldn't it, since he's called the serpent of Old. Okay, verse 25, but while everybody's sleeping, that's when the devil does his work, when nobody's watching or paying attention. That's why Jesus says, be alert, be alert, be alert. You have an enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you better be paying attention because he likes to prowl at night. So while it be, uh, everybody's sawing logs, his enemy comes and sows weeds among the wheat and went away. And then the interpretation, verse 39, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. No pulling punches there. So the Son of God has an enemy, and he's very industrious, is he not? He's as busy as the owner. He's working, the owner is working, and the devil is working to destroy what the owner is doing. And so that obviously has an implication to us because we are the pride and joy of the owner. We are the offspring of the owner. We're in the field, and the weeds threaten our existence, our health, our well-being, because they are invasive and they come in and they choke the plants out. Yeah, but, you know, his plants prevail. So enter the devil. Uh, I was at Baskin Robbins last Halloween, and there was a high school girl there dressed up like the devil. And so I said, man, 
I said, if you only knew the truth, you would not be dressing like no devil. And she said, well, I don't believe in his existence. And I said, but Jesus did. Jesus believes there's a devil. The Son of God says, this enemy stands for the devil. And the Bible talks a lot about him. And his greatest deception is to make that high school girl think that his existence is a joke. And so, yeah. So uh, you can't understand one thing about your life or this world if you don't understand the devil and his evil workings. And so unbelievers are often stumbled when they look around at the field, the world, and see all the weeds and all the evil, and think, wow, there can't be a God here because look at this mess. But God says, oh no, it's not my good uh, work. It's the enemy that did this, and he's responsible for it. The word devil means slanderer. The word Satan means adversary or enemy. And uh, he is the one who brings and works and blinds the eyes of unbeliever and then kind of ruins God's good world and the world becomes nothing like it was intended to be. Not because of God, but because of the evil one and those who do his work. And so you'll recall that God sowed good seed. God saw that all that he had made, it was very good. There was evening and morning, that sixth day. And so, yeah, God is exonerated. God is light. In him, there's no darkness. There is one thing God cannot do. He cannot sin. He cannot do anything evil. And so when you look around and see anything that's not good, not true, not right, not pure, not excellent, not worthy of praise, then you can trace that straight back to one being who started it all. He is the Father the progenitor of all misinformation and all lies. The murderer from the beginning, as Jesus called him. And so uh, that's how it all got started there. Now, you know, I could preach 10 sermons on the devil, but the short story is this. He was an archangel. I guess they call him a cherub, and that is an angel of the highest order. It seems like he was the worship leader and the right-hand man <laughs> there in heaven. Uh, he is called the picture of perfection, stunning beauty. And the problem is, in Ezekiel 28, he fell in love with himself. And he was filled with pride, and he wanted a throne above God's throne, but the only throne that he gets is to be thrown down <laughs> by the Lord there. Uh, he, he, in Isaiah 14, so if you want the details, which I don't have time to do, Ezekiel 28 and verses 12 through 15, and interestingly, verses 12 through 15 in Isaiah 14, with the five I will. I will be above God. I will be above the stars that he created. I will have a throne like his. I will, I will, I will. And he says, oh no, you won't. And so a third of the angels thought that he had a chance apparently, but he really had no chance in hell of that happening. Sorry, I just... 
It works. It works, people. Okay. And so you're thinking, well, why did God even let this whole thing happen? You know, well, I always tell people with that question, that kind of question, uh, save that question, write it down, because you're going to get a chance to meet God, and then you can ask him, because you have an appointment with him before his throne to give an account for your life. And so when you're standing there giving an account of your life to the God who created you and all things, then you can ask your question about things like that. But something tells me that you won't be doing that. And so the owner's enemy here, the father of lies, source of deception, anarchy, violence, lies, oppression. Just look around the world. Every single solitary evil thing traced back to him and those who follow him. And so that's his work to kill, steal, and destroy. God, Jesus outed him. That's his job description. And he works stealth, stealthily, right? And so it would take the incarnation of God into human form and a cross, a death and a resurrection to defeat him and his work. And so you look, take a look around at the world, the field, it's a wreck, but it reflects perfectly the heart and the intention of what makes Lucifer, his original name, meaning light bearer, what makes him tick. That's his heart. Look at the world. That's what he loves. Division, violence, lies, oppression, hate, anger. That's him. That's him. But it's a temporary situation, folks. Jesus doesn't seem too worried uh, because the owner is on his way even as we speak. And he might show up before I finish this rather long sermon. <laughs> you guys are out of control. Okay, so the owner is God. The enemy is the devil. And they're both sowing seed. Let's talk about the two sowers and their two kinds of seed. From God's point of view, the world is divided into two kinds of people only, which is amazing because at last count, the planet has 7,800,487,463 plants in the field. And we like to divide them into groups like 6,500 languages that these plants, these people speak. Uh, if you count the dialects, that is, there are uh, you know, a lot less major languages, but 15,000 people groups we divide uh, ourselves into and four races, even though we come from one man. And so we look around the field and we see rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, educated and not, um, you know, the haves and the haves nots, right? We like to divide people up, and, 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 but God says they're too kind only in the whole world. Sons of the kingdom, the good seed, children of God, and sons of the evil one. Those are the only two. You're either saved or lost in God's point of view. You're either a sheep or a goat. You're either a good fish or a bad fish. You know, there are so many parables like that and analogies. God just sees two kinds of people. You're either going to inherit eternal life or you're going to forfeit it. Those are the only two. 
kinds of people. There's no in-between. That's the deal. Well, they're decent people, and they're good, and there's this, and they're thin. No, you're either in or you're out, according to this and many other scriptures. And so, you know, last time there was one, the seed stood for the word of God. And this time it's a little bit different. It stands for people growing wherever they're planted in this world and those who have a connection to God and those who have a connection to his enemy. Now, here's the deal. So much for the brotherhood of man that we're all brothers. Well, we used to be brothers with the whole world, but things have changed. And so Jesus shatters that misguided platitude that we're all brothers when Jesus clearly says, uh, no, we're not. We have a lot in common with an unbeliever. Number one, we share a creator. We've all been created by God. Number two, we share an experience, the fall. We're all sinners. We're brothers and sisters in that regard. Uh, thanks to Adam and Eve, we all had an allegiance to the devil. When they locked arms with Satan in Genesis chapter 3, uh, they bowed before him and he became their shepherd, their counselor, their, their God, if you will. And so those born of Adam and Eve came under the power of the one they submitted to by sinning and, and, and following after him instead of God. And so we have a shared past allegiance to the devil because that's how we were born under the power of the devil in this dark world. Ephesians says we used to live that way. We followed the ways of this wicked world and the ruler of the kingdom, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now in the wor at work and those who are disobedient. All of us, here it is, all of us, we were brothers and sisters. Uh, we, we lived among them gratifying sinful cravings following its desires, and like the rest, like the rest, just like them, we were nature, by nature deserving of God's judgment and wrath, but we broke ranks because God, who is rich in mercy, came to our rescue. And we heard the gospel, and we repented of our sins, and we put our faith in Christ, and then we were born again and adopted into the fatherhood of God. Now we cry out, not in fear, but with a spirit that cries out, Papa God. So now Abba God is our father. We used to be in cahoots with the evil one, but no longer. And so even so, and for in a where is it? I believe it's 2 Corinthians 6 where he says, what does anybody have in common with, what does a Christian have in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. And he goes on to say, don't partner with them in this intimate yoking of your life with their lives because what does Christ have in common with the devil? See, two camps. We used to be in that camp but we've been rescued out. And so that is, we have been made, we were once the bad seed, but if the bad seed comes in contact with the blood of, of God's only begotten son, that there's a, there's a dynamic ontological change in that seed itself, and it becomes a good seed. You see, and those who reject it remain as they were born. 
stillborn, spiritually dead, and under the power and influence of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will, as the Bible says. And so two kinds of seed stand for those who broke ranks with the evil one and those who have not. Moving along here, it picks up now. Uh, verse 25, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The field is the world. And so I've already talked about this. You can't really describe the parable without giving away uh, some of its meaning. And so I think just the comment here that the, the field represents not the church. A lot of misunderstanding uh, here. Certainly, it has application that within God's church, there are weeds, right? But really, as John MacArthur said, let me see. He said, this is not a, this is not a parable about the world in the church. It's about the church in the world, you see? So I'm glad I remembered that because I can't find it in this mess. It's really hard to figure out what, where I'm going with this just to show you what I deal with on a weekly basis. It's not pretty, but it works for me. Yeah, so of course there's application. Now, you can't tell. This is the point here is, is that weeds are everywhere. They're in the church. They're in companies. They're in families. You just don't know who is who, and that's going to be one of the points that comes here. Uh, it's, you can scarcely look around and see that God is the one who created this world. It's so messed up because they grow in the field, which is the world. But good news, and, and a hymn writer in 1899 summed this up really nice. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought, rocks and trees and skies and seas, his hand, the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the, the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. One more little stanza here. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. So Christ is the owner of the field, the sovereign God, and he's coming to do some extensive weeding to his field. Amen? Amen. And so, yeah, he's coming to make it paradise again. You, you know in Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, preaching the gospel, this is what's been said, that he is coming and there will be a restoration of all things. And Jesus calls it at the renewal. He calls his second coming the renewal when he restores the planet, the field that he owns. It's his world. It's his field. And he weeds it out. And then he says, now, check this out. It's going to be way better than the Garden of Eden. And so he's at work. And then next, and now we're winding down here with the big ending uh, the, the dilemma, the mystery, the question, the farmhands come and they notice, whoa, you can't tell in the beginning, early stages when the plants are growing together until the maturity comes and the grain has appeared in the heads. And in the heads of the, it's called darnel, the look-alike wheat weed, there's emptiness. There's nothing. Surprise. But you can't tell 
until some time has gone by, which is so wise. Let's go to that scripture there, verse 27. The owner's servants come to him and say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? What's going on? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and get some herbicide? You know, and start pulling them up, and we'll take care of those weeds. And he says, no, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you're going to get confused. You may root up some of the good plants along with the bad plants. Let them grow together. So don't miss this, you guys. Don't miss it at all. This is a shout-out to the patience of God. You see, he has to clarify the mission of the Messiah, because they think he's going to come and right then and there eradicate all evil and do what the Old Testament says Jesus will do. He will uh, exalt Israel. He'll renew the planet. And, and you know all the millennial kingdom promises. The lion will lay down with the lamb and no more war. And nobody will teach their neighbor, hey, man, know the Lord, because God says, oh, everyone will know me then. So they thought, Here's the Messiah. That's going to happen now. And he says, oh, no, no, no. The, the world is sowed with good and evil. Let them grow. They need time to repent. This is called the age of grace. We'll pick up from the day of Pentecost until we are rescued out. That is called the age of grace. And that's what this is uh, all about. They're saying, come on, let's do this. Let's get rid of the evil. Let's dominate the place with goodness. He says, no, it's not going to happen until I return at the end of the age of grace. There'll be a consummation of the ages, as it's called. And so the first observation there is, is that you can't always know who's who until really you give it some time. But sooner or later, you know, it's just hard to fake it. You can fake it only so long. And then, you know, when they come checking for the fruit, there's no fruit. They're just big fat leaves. No fruit. And uh, that's what the farmers decided they saw when they're going through the grain and they're seeing grain, grain, grain. What? And so many of them had no grain. I read about this because I like to read up on stuff like weeds and things like that when I'm talking about it. But I read something crazy that there's a, there's, there's a category of weeds that, call, that it's called mimicry. That the weed will mimic a flower to get pollinated but not give anything in return. And so the weed knows, oh, the way to get pollinated is to look like something a hummingbird would find nectar. But when the hummingbird comes and pollinates, the, the, the bird's like, well, where's, where's the part you give to me? Oh no, oh, no, no, no. We're takers. We're weeds. We're invasive. We just suck everything up. It's all for me, myself, and I. Oh, there you go. There you go. They look like flowers. They can smell real super pretty. In fact, they can have better quality marriages. They can have more devotion and better character than some of the wheat. And that's why Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you can't go in there. Because there are 
believers who act more like unbelievers sometimes and unbelievers that act more like believers. How will you guys ever know? Only God and the angels know. You don't know, but you do know with time. And then after many years, suddenly you start to hear things like, you know, I think men wrote the Bible and this stuff about hell and about all this judgmental stuff. Oh, we should just love everybody. No morality, no divisions of believer and unbeliever, no heaven and hell. We all just make it. Oh, see, it comes out in time. It comes out in time. So you don't always know. For sure. So he says, are you kidding me? Pull them up. Man, you're gonna. Uh, what if you met David during the nine months? Nine months during his fling with Bathsheba. Nine months. And then he wrote Psalm 32 that said, oh, how blessed is the man whose sins are covered. And how I ached, my bones hurt, and how my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer when I kept silent nine months to a year. You would have written him off as a weed, as a weed, I should say. But he actually was, oh, what about Ananias and Sapphira? Boom. They were acting like a weed. They were probably saved. They just got out to put him on an earlier flight home. You know, you're going to act like that, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah, they picked the wrong time in church history to mess around with the Lord. You know, there's never really a right time. But anyway, so he says, let them grow together. God is patient. God is not willing anybody perish. And all things are possible for the worst kind of weed can come, become the most beautiful plant filled with beautiful fruit. He says, just give it some time, boys. Give it some time. Now, brace yourself for a real graphic ending. And with this, we close and wrap up. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest, like we've been saying. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles, and they're going to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And here's the interpretation. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the, in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. And so the story has a happy ending. The story has a happy ending and a, and, and a resolve. A happy ending for the owner, for the man who was victimized and assaulted. How rude, how criminal. Did you know that in Rome it was on the books, and this is how we have a real life story here, it was on the books. It was against the law to sow, to sow rye grass is kind of the Darnell plant in your enemy's field because that's what they used to do. Well, I'll show you. I'll ruin you and secretly put in that and you can't tell until the end and then boom, crop failure. 
So it's a happy ending. This is a happy ending for the man, the owner, the field. The field, this is good news for the earth, you know, that was ruined, and for the sons of the kingdom who were constantly always having to put up with being choked out and marginalized and persecuted and all of that. But it is a sad, tragic end for the weeds who choose foolishly to remain in their weed-like status, right? They, they have choices. Every weed will have to make a choice. Do you want to be a weed or do you want to be a weed? And I'll give you some time to think about it. And I'll work in your life, right? And so anybody who ends up in the fiery furnace, sadly, that Jesus says is the meaning, not a symbol. He already gave you the symbol of the fiery furnace. And then he says, let me tell you what it stands for. It stands for a place of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And gnashing tells you the anger. Because gnashing is a word that's used in the Old Testament and the New to describe anger and hostility. You know, Proverbs says, a man's own folly destroys his life, yet his heart rages against who? The Lord. It's always God's fault. How could a God of love throw somebody who's basically a good person into a fiery furnace? Well, I got a better question for you. How could God, a holy God in love, be pleased to crush his own son on the behalf of those who would murder him, who choose darkness and evil and sin? Isaiah 53 and verse 10, it pleased the father to crush his son on behalf of those weeds who kept wanting to be weeds to the last possible second. So this story isn't about, oh, this mean God up there. I mean, anybody who ends up perishing had to leapfrog over the bloodied, bruised, and battered body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in a body. So don't you be thinking anything negative about a God who would not spare his own son for a child molester, a bank robber, a, a, a rapist, because those sins were laid on Jesus. Every sin, because if they weren't, they would have no hope if you committed so-and-so, such-and-such of a crime. Those sins all had to become him. He, the Bible says he became it. He became that sin of that weed. And if you end up in hell, it's because you had to get around him. And he was like this, don't do it. And they do it. And on that great day, he's not going to say, oh, mine will be done. He's going to look at them and say, sadly, thy will be done. And so he says, that's the great resolve, but of the wheat, he says, oh man, you're going into the barn, <laughs> God's barn. Have you checked out that barn in Revelation and all over the place? Poor John. What John sees, it defies English, Greek, and Hebrew. It defies all language, right? He looks around and he's like, oh, it's all shiny. Everything's shiny, gold. And, you know, he, he can barely describe it. Streets of gold crystal sees a throne with an emerald rainbow around it. 
you know, all of the cherubim and the seraphim and the singing and the joy and the eternal life. This is what God's barn is like. His barn where you will have a body like his glorious body. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. You will have a body as glorious as God's body. That's a quote. You will know as you've been fully known. You will be without sin and incapable of sinning in a place where you reign and rule. And quote, Revelation chapter 3. It says, I will let you share a spot on my throne. You'll sit on my throne with me and judge and rule and reign forever with me. He's got thrones for us in his barn. <laughs> it's a really specked out barn. <laughs> I can tell you, this barn of his, you want to go to his barn, all right? Now, the Wades have a barn that's kind of like that. It's beautiful, but it's even better than that, my friends. And so and this is what we wait for. And then he says, yeah, the righteous will, come on, shine like the sun. Shine like the sun forever. You know, the sun shines bright, but you're going to shine like that. It's a symbol of just eternal life, eternal goodness, eternal knowledge, eternal truth, eternal righteousness that's going to emanate you from you. That's an amazing thought. That's how he closes it up. So he asks them, do you want to be shining like the sun in the presence of your Father, God, in love? Or do you want to remain this poisonous plant that just thinks about itself and in the end is of no use to anybody, so it's tossed out? So which is it? Wheat or a leaf? Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we're so thankful that you took all of us weeds, this is every single one of us, and we still have some little issues with some of those roots, God, but thankfully we've been transplanted into your kingdom, and you put a new dominant force of life within us called the Holy Spirit. You've raised us to new life. We pray, God, that, that you would fill us afresh and anew with the power and that makes us fruitful and a good plant with good fruit and lots of it for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.